Hello, and welcome back to the People Analytics Podcast. As always, I'm the host, Sean Boyce, CEO and founder of StaffGeek. I would like to welcome my guest today, Netta, who is the founder of Holistic Inclusion Consulting that offers global diversity consulting. Forbes listed her as one of the top seven most impactful anti-racism educators in the world. She is also the co-founder of the Dipper Tech platform, guiding professionals of color to a better workplace, one review at a time. Her previous role was as the Vice President of Global Inclusion at IAC. Hello, Netta, how are you? And thanks for being on the show. Hi, Sean, how are you? That is an impressive list, and I'm looking forward to diving <laughs> into it further. So if you would be so kind, please, for myself and our audience, talk a little bit more about your background and how you got into these ventures and became such a strong voice and uh, doing excellent work in the uh, diversity and inclusion. Thank you. Um, absolutely. So I always like to start off with my why. And um, that why started for me at a very young age. So both of my parents are from Liberia. I'm not sure why, but they settled in the smallest state in America, Rhode Island. And so um, I grew up in a pretty affluent Caucasian neighborhood. One experience that I had when I was about seven years old was of a white woman spitting in my mother's face and saying, Blacks don't belong in my neighborhood. And me watching that spit literally drip down my mother's cheek. Um, that was a very tough moment for me. And I think it was even tougher seeing my mom just kind of walk away, turn her back and just walk silently away. And so as a young child, I always asked my, you know, my mother, my parents, a ton of questions. So I kept on asking my mom, well, why didn't, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you retaliate? And so it wasn't until I was older and my mom said, well, had I retaliated or had I said something, I could have been seen as the perpetrator and she could have been seen as the victim. You know, she could have lied about it. And so I just decided in that moment to turn around. And, um, and that was also very, very hard for me as well. And so then, you know, moving along, I, I go off to middle school and uh, there was a young white boy that had said, I heard your um, family's from Africa let me see how far and how fast you can climb up this tree. And he said that in front of other students. And that really was the breaking point for me. Um, went back home and I cried the entire day, but my mom looked at me and she said something so pivotal. She said, Netta, I didn't bring you in this world to cry about things. I brought you in this world to create change. And when she said that to me, every single activist we, have ever heard of <laughs> woke up in me, right? And I'm just like, okay, I am going to be the Martin Luther King um, of this neighborhood, of the school that I'm in, I'm gonna create change. And so at a very young age, I started to strategize on how I could create and make, create change, but also um, bring people together and educate people on what was happening. And so I had knew that in order to create change, I had to be in a position of, of privilege and, and power. Um, but power most importantly in influence. And um, I ran for president of the freshman class. And I remember my student council teacher saying to me, well, Netta, you know, your big gig here is to fold flowers for the freshman float. And um, just to give you some, some context and some background, the school that I was in, I was one of three black people there. And so he had said, you know, your big your big thing here is to fold flowers for the freshman float. And I looked at him and I said, oh no, I'm not here to fold flowers for the freshman float. I'm here to create change. And he started laughing. 
And I started laughing even louder because I'm like, wait, am I this crazy black girl thinking that I'm really going to create change in a school where I'm one of three black people? Um, and that was exactly it. I started to create change. I started challenging students and I started challenging teachers. I started putting on different types of awareness events um, and impactful ones, right? Why are the uh, three black students within the school all sitting together during lunchtime? driving while black. I actually had presentations like that. Now I think and I look back and I'm like, whoa, that was really crazy, right? Um, but that was something that I did and I did it to the point where news stations actually came to the school and started to cover what was happening and unfolding. And I remember before I graduated, um, one of my teachers had said to me, uh, Netta, you really changed my life. Thank you for you know, educating and, and challenging me. And whatever you do, I hope that you're on this path forever. And so, you know, I took it in, but I really didn't understand it um, that much. And I went off to college and I continued to kind of focus on those efforts on the side, challenging professors and challenging curriculums and asking them, well, why aren't you talking about this, right? You're missing this out of the historical, uh, the historical facts. And then I ended up um, going into corporate America and that's when it was like, boom, right? <laughs> that's when I, I started to see the many gaps. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's happening here too, you know? Um, and I knew that I wanted to create that change. So immediately I started working with, um, you know, my CEO on these topics and I really wanted to work closely with him. I think a lot of the times with um, diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, the DEI person is always kind of linked to the HR person. It shouldn't be an HR thing. It should be the person that has the most power and impact within the organization that you know, the practitioner is working with. And so I'm happy that uh, in my former company, my former CEO, he was very adamant about that as well. Um, and so it was about educating him, challenging him, and uh, challenging the entire organization. It's an incredible, powerful, and moving stories. Thank you for sharing those. It gives us some real perspective on such an important topic. And I have about a million questions for you. So I'm going to get to as many as we can for this show okay. <laughs> because you're right. There's a powerful movement sweeping the nation right now, obviously. So timely now more than ever, obviously a very relevant, very important topic. And many of us want to know what we can do to be better, to help pursue this positive change, which will have sweeping implications for everything from making the world a better place to having a legitimate business impact as well too, driving productivity as well also and value generation for companies. So part of what I would love to hear from your perspective is, right, how, what, what type of lenses can we be looking at pursuing this change from the perspective of offering value at, you know, not just the, not just what's essentially the right thing to do, but also looking at it from the perspective of here are all the other benefits of pursuing this as well from a company perspective, one thing you just mentioned, which I love, is looking at it from the perspective of power and impact. That matters, right? Challenging each other. These are incredible things to pursue and any healthy company that's performing well, that's gonna be a big part of that culture. So can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about these topics and some of the things that are going on, how we should be thinking about them in terms of change? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing is um, for anyone that's trying to practice bold allyship essentially within an organization and create that 
that impact, that change, and even the business impact, um, you have to educate yourself. There's a lot of people that are looking uh, to be educated by practitioners or maybe, you know, uh, their black and brown counterparts, um, but it's not up to them to educate, you know, the masses. It's really pick up a book, right? Do the Google research in the background and, and take a look at what's happening within the world. You know, one of the things that I think about all the time is, you know, in an organization there, what, what I'm seeing a lot of in some of the trends is that for black and brown people specifically, which are the underrepresented groups within organizations, they're experiencing uh, an enormous amount of microaggressions, right? And so it's about organizations really diving into that and understanding the complexity of it, the psychological impact that it has. You know, I read a study uh, that had about 405 uh, professionals of color that link microaggressions to suicide. And so when you think, if you can think about a black or brown person uh, being mistreated within an organization and being unheard and then going home and potentially thinking about killing themselves, it's no longer a game and it's no longer a joke, you know? And that's how come I always say, that's the first step. Educate thyself <laughs> and listen, 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 listen. Um, I think the other part to it too is, you know, as an individual in the organization, if you know that you have power and privilege and you are um, in a leadership role and there is um, not a lot of representation or black or brown, you know, employees within the organization, but there are a few, bring those people in on strategy meetings, right? Let them also to meet um, other executives and other leaders within the organization, equip them also with the tools to know who to connect with in order to move up, right? I know just for myself, when I was working at uh, my former organization, I partnered a lot with the CEO, right? And because I kind of formed that relationship with him, he then had a network of people as well um, that I was introduced to. And then he also was like, well, Netta, you know what? You're smart, right? You're doing amazing work. I want to make sure that you're seen, right? And so he had me present to the board. I mean, well, to the uh, other executives within the organization um, of our parent company. And so that was impactful, but it wasn't, he didn't just do that one time. It was probably about three or four times, right? And I was with the company for about five years. So when you have someone in your corner and I, and I truly always say he was, he was more like a champion for me, wanting to see you win, wanting to make sure that I was in spaces that he knew typically other black and brown people did not have the opportunity or were not in that, in that space. He's like, well, you need to be in that space. And I want you to bring other people along with you as well. So it's about thinking that way, right? And I think the misconception that I've been seeing a lot has been, um, oh, we're, you know, we're going to volunteer and we're going to do this for black and brown people. Um, and it's, it almost seems as if it's, it's kind of like a charity. And it's like, no, 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 there's a lot of educated black and brown people. It's just the matter of them uh, being exposed to certain networks, right? And that's even when we start talking about um, venture capital, 
right? Black women receive 0.2% in terms of venture capital. Um, Latinx women receive 0.1%. And I believe white women receive 2.2%. So like these percentages are extremely low. And so even thinking about um, CEOs or people on boards, they need to be thinking about that. Well, how can we make sure that we bring these percentages up, right? Because we know if everyone does well, that impacts the economy. It's very, very simple. And so why would we want to, to keep, um, you know, uh, specific demographics kind of oppressed? It shouldn't be like that. Um, especially when, when the greater majority has privilege and power. There's privilege in there just in, in being born white, right? Um, it's the same thing in, in being born black. There, it's unfortunate, but there's like that racist, the, the, the racism and that impact as well. And so it doesn't mean that uh, specifically a white person has done anything wrong, right? Because they were born white. But I just think, you know, once one has that privilege and power, that then gives them, lends them the opportunity to really drive impact. For others a lot of value to kind of unpack there so yeah. adding a lot more questions but i'm going to do my <laughs> best to make sure that we make the most of the time right thank you Absolutely. that perspective is super helpful and there's a couple things i wanted to really highlight there one thing i'd want to talk a little bit more about in particular was you talked about making these opportunities for right the disadvantaged but using it to the advantage of everything that we're doing as a team, as a company, from a strategic perspective, right? Giving uh, people in your organization, people of color, those from diverse backgrounds, a voice when it comes to strategic decision-making. This mm -hmm. is a topic, I've always seen this as a no-brainer. Obviously, we're, we're, we need to make a lot more change. We need to make a lot more progress. But to me, this is the perspective that I always saw it as. And I would love to get your take on this because not only do it, like I've mentioned before, do I see it as a no-brainer for diversity and inclusion to be really just the right thing to do and, you know, giving an opportunity for everybody to contribute. But from the perspective of value generation at an organization level, right, on this podcast, we talk a lot about people analytics, which is the kind of the intersection between people and data. So I'd love to hear your perspective on the topic of, to me, the way it always made sense is bringing people together from different backgrounds is going to lead to creative thought, right? And new ideas, which ultimately becomes innovation. And innovation is something companies are always desperate for to drive value generation, right? So if you're looking for new, fresh, different ideas, you can't go to the same groups of people or people that have the same background as you or look the same way as you or have the same experience as you, right? The more we have in common, the harder it is for us to be creative uh, as a group, right? So like, I would want you know, my team to be as diverse as possible, realistically, because I want people challenging everything, you know, we need to make progress, of course, but I want that perspective, right? And I can't get it if I just build a team of people that are exactly like me. So I'd love to hear this, your perspective on this, and how companies can be thinking about not just from the perspective of, look, this is obvious, something we need to do, but there's a ton of benefit involved as well, too, if you invest in it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the business impact of it is is huge. And it's really about companies kind of assessing the people that are on their teams, of course, but then also the products 
that they have. Um, and I guess one specific example that I can give is um, of a, a client that, you know, they had, um, they had employees that were based in Eastern Europe um, you know, that in Eastern Europe, the population of specifically black and brown people is, is just not there, right? It's not something that they can change or I can change. Um, but what they did have is a lot of their um, advertising um, and marketing that was happening was through the folks in Eastern Europe. But then again, the, the folks that were down downloading their products the most were based in the US, right? And it's pretty, it's very diverse in, in, your, in the US. So it was, there was definitely a gap there. And because of that, they were making money, but they also left a, a tremendous amount of money on the table. Um, and I believe that they were also, um, you know, a lot of people were kind of commenting on that and saying, okay, well in your ads, in your promos, we're not really seeing the diversity here. There's a gap and it was just all that they could pretty much present were Eastern Europeans, because that's what's based, <laughs> you know, there. And, um, and it was definitely a, a total miss. And I think what they did is they then thought about it. Um, they developed a team that was much more diverse as well. And in, in diverse, I would say specifically, there were definitely more black and brown people on their team that kind of brought that to their attention. And, um, and they were able to garner more downloads because now they had shifted. They didn't want to um, simply say, okay, well, we're not going to work with folks in, um, you know, Eastern Europe anymore um, because, of course, the cost to produce, you know, these ads were significantly less. Um, but then at the same time, they're like, okay, well, we should simply just be also casting in New York and within the U.S., right? And um, and it was just a very simple, simple thing for them to do. And they were able to gain more uh, downloads and also it was an impact to, of course, the bottom line. So that's a simple thing. I think another thing that we're all seeing is even with Facebook, you know, um, due to kind of the, the lack of the uh, political stance, them taking kind of a stance, they lost out on a tremendous amount of money and advertisers started to pull out. They lost out on $7 billion. <laughs> um, they try to retract and it still didn't work, right? And I think more people, and this is what I love, um, we're in a time now where no matter what race or what background you are, people are seeing that this is wrong, right? This is wrong. We've been operating wrong for a very long time. And so people are now putting their foots down brands, advertisers, and they're saying, well, listen, we want to work with all people. And so if we can't work with everyone and we're just, we just have one specific demographic here, then we're not going to work with that organization. And that's what we see happening. And so it's, it's a, a, a huge miss, but what I do see in the future because of this culture shift is the companies that aren't thinking inclusively in bringing, um, you know, especially underrepresented groups on board too, which have strong buying power, their businesses will evaporate. It's, <laughs> um, it, they, they will no longer be around, you know, and we'll see that happening very slowly, but eventually it's gonna happen. Um, so if, if companies don't think about this now, 
Um, and they shouldn't just think about it from, oh, you know, we can miss, lose out on money, but it should be, we truly want to make sure that we're creating the products that we're creating, the ads that we're creating, anything, or the service is inclusive of all people. How do we make sure? I mean, even someone that may be left-handed, right? Um, the majority are right-handed, right? So even thinking about that, it's, it's truly, truly important. Yeah, some really excellent examples from multiple perspectives with regard to thinking about it from the tangible business impact perspective. And as well, like as you discussed, it's healthy and positive change for the culture as a whole anyway, right? So combining those makes it very much a no-brainer, investing in this and doing what's right here. And you'd mentioned the product lines. And I would share some of the personal experience I had, which is something, honestly, I hadn't even thought of. I just took it for granted yeah. in terms of like using, pick it, buying Band-Aids from uh, the local pharmacy. Mm. They only came in one color. And that yeah. color just happened to match my skin color, mm-hmm. right? So I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. So the more, uh, also like emojis, same thing. I'm seeing more yeah. emojis that are in different colors, which is awesome. I hadn't yeah. thought about that as well either. So the other thing that's really helpful is to have these conversations, to offer these perspectives, because it helps us, like you said, those of us that may not be explicitly not participating, but we may just be implicitly going along with the system the way it is and not realizing that uh, there are these opportunities to make real change, regardless of how small they might feel or how minimal that change might be, it could have a big impact. And right. uh, that, yeah. that perspective I, has always been really helpful for me and other people like me who want to know more about that perspective. So sharing it, hearing these stories and learning more from professionals like yourself is super helpful. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even with uh, the syrup bottle with Aunt Jemima, right? For years, and it's it's so funny because it's something that I always used to question, like, why is this woman on this bottle? Like that is, (laughs) you know, that's so racist. Um, and, but I'm like, no, we continue to, to buy it and we don't challenge it. And so this is how come I'm so excited about the time that we're in now, because, um, people are challenging these things. And now we see after many years, decades, um, Aunt Jemima is now coming off of that, that bottle. It's awesome. It's really exciting. It's exciting time to be participating in something like this, this movement. Um, hopefully we continue to make progress and even more, even more aggressively moving forward. So other questions I would have for you as well, too, is for those of us out there that understand what we're talking about, want to get more involved from a company perspective, what are some of the things that they can do about having the right kind of conversations, making the right kind of change from within their organizations? How should they be thinking about getting more involved, right? We talked about once we start identifying some of these opportunities to make change, how do we go about them? How do we put a plan into action? What, what's the best advice you have for companies in those, in those positions? Yeah, definitely. I think leaders right now need to think about, okay, how do I look outside of the box that I'm in? Um, how, how do I ensure that I'm a part of different networks um, that I'm typically not a part of? You know, even if they're thinking about, hey, I'm going golfing, you know, I'm going to be going golfing. How do I make sure that I include maybe underrepresented people within the organization as well? 
um, because, you know, we all know that, and we all hear this, that a lot of deals are closed, you know, on the, on the golf course as well, and, and just kind of that network. So how do I bring um, more underrepresented groups into that? And I think also um, really thinking about, okay, how do we challenge ourselves, right? In those moments where, um, you know, maybe someone from an underrepresented group may be saying, hey, this, this happened to me and here's how I felt and here's how I was impacted. How do you switch that? You know, really retooling performance evaluations, um, retooling reviews, performance reviews. I know, you know, for a very long time, it has been the manager and then, you know, the employee. Um, but I think it needs to be like a 360 where the employee can also then review the manager at the same time, you know, um, I think we just kind of have to shift our mindsets a bit and, and really think about, okay, how do we make sure that we get the data that we really need to, to make this impact? Um, how do we make sure that we start putting in place policies uh, so that people aren't um, being microaggressed, you know, and so putting in a policy and ensuring that um, there's full transparency in the things that are coming up and there's action tying also thinking about tying in DEI to um, KPIs, you know, so that, hey, if one is not performing um, well or, or fo focus on DEI efforts as a leader, then it impacts the bonus and or potentially salary. Um, and definitely moving up, you know, for a very long time within organizations, I think there are some, you know, some people that have been able to kind of get away with being mediocre, getting away with being offensive, um, or getting away with just not really focused on DEI efforts and making it to the top. And so then they are able to kind of perpetuate and be a part of this vicious cycle um, and so that has to come to an end too, no matter if a company has a high performing person, but they, um, you know, they are not performing well in respect to, you know, a D in a DEI capacity, then that person should either be, um, you know, warned about that, educated on that, or let go. You know, it's that simple. So I think it's really about making those bold moves. There's a lot of companies that, put out, you know, statements, especially after George Floyd's murder and Black Lives Matter statements and all of that. And, um, and it's not just about the statement, it goes much deeper than that. You know, it's, it's what are you going to do now? How are you going to challenge yourself and almost make yourself feel uncomfortable, right? Because for many people in underrepresented groups, they feel uncomfortable every single day. Um, a lot of organizations were able to then function like it was business as usual. And so that's even something, you know, to think for them to think about um, managers thinking about, okay, well, how do we manage during trauma? You know, we had the COVID-19, the world was impacted by COVID-19, but let's take a deeper dive and, and, and think about what underrepresented groups were really impacted, right? And how can we support them at that time? Um, really also even thinking about um, just in, you know, with Zoom meetings, you know, some people don't really have the luxury of even having their own home or having their own room. So I think we're at a moment in a time where 
leaders especially, I, I want to challenge them to think about every single aspect um, uh, as it pertains to the workplace and how that may impact someone's life. And take a step back and pause and say, okay, let me think about this deeper. Yeah, how could this impact someone else, right? It may not be impacting me, but I want to listen to the, you know, the groups that this is impacting, and I want to make sure that we are now holding ourselves accountable for that. Thank you for sharing all of those wonderful opportunities to make real change. A lot of ideas there to be shared, a lot of opportunities to make real impact. So uh, thank you again for that. And I, I can't thank you enough for being here, sharing your expertise and such an important message and mission with uh, myself, our audience. I have two questions for you before we wrap up this episode. The first one is, uh, what resources would you share with our listeners and myself where, you know, we talked about earlier in the show, be proactive, become educated, uh, go learn, you know, learn what you need to learn in order to get involved and make real change. What I would love to hear from you, what resources you might mention or share with, uh, with our audience where we can go to learn more. Yeah, absolutely. So what I'd love to do is actually a friend had sent this to me the other day. They had put together um, an anti-racism dictionary. And so I'd love to send that to you. It has all of the words that, you know, we kind of talked about on this call, but also just the words that we've been hearing and that we'll continue to hear. Um, I think that's important. Um, there are so many books out there and I, I'd love to send you links as well to that so that you can share that with your listeners. Um, and then also, I think, so one of the things I recently did was I launched, um, or I'm launching a course at the end of this week um, on practicing bold allyship, on managing through black and brown trauma, um, driving impact with privilege and power as well. And um, I feel like I'm missing one more, but those are the top three. And I'll be launching that towards the end of this week um, on Udemy. And so, individuals can definitely kind of take that course and it'll walk them through everything. I talk about kind of the historical context. I'm a data, a data junkie, so I kind of dive into the data and I back up everything that I say as well. Um, and then we talk about solutions and accountability. So there's different steps that I take um, folks through and I definitely recommend this training. So I'll also try to send you the link for your followers. That would be fantastic. Please do anything you send me, I will link to in the show as uh, okay. show notes as well too. So people can click on those links and go there to learn more. Fantastic resources. Thank you for sharing. And the last question I have for you is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? Absolutely. Anyone can reach out to me if you deem to. Um, they can get in touch with me through my um, website. So that's netajenkins.com n-e-t-t-a-j-e-n-k-i-n-s.com. Um, a lot of the information and details are on there. Um, if they're looking for someone to consult for them um, or a keynote speaker, there's so many different things that I offer, product inclusion, um, professional as well. Um, I can definitely focus on that, those efforts for them. I'm also on LinkedIn, so just look up Netta Jenkins. I've also started a newsletter, so I hope folks subscribe and trying to educate as many people as I can. Um, and so that's that's another option. Um, yeah, I think I'm everywhere. If you Google me, <laughs> you'll be able to find me. But 
it definitely, I, I encourage people to connect with me and ask me anything. I want to definitely help as much as I can. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing those. I'll include those in the notes as well. And I can't thank you enough, Netta, for being here and sharing your incredible knowledge with both myself and our audience. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the People Analytics Podcast powered by StaffGeek. If you or anyone you know is a leader in human resources or talent acquisition and would be interested in being a guest on our show, please reach out to me at sean at staffgeek.com. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at staffgeek, S-T-A-F-F-G-E-E-K.com. We would love to share your valuable knowledge with our audience. At this point, we'd like to take a moment to thank the sponsor of our show, StaffGeek. StaffGeek helps companies hire smarter by increasing retention and combating turnover all while reducing time to hire. They do this by creating a customized behavioral assessment around your company's unique culture. Armed with your fit tech assessment, you're able to evaluate which candidates are the right fit for your company's culture. Start hiring smarter today with StaffGeek. If you'd like to learn more, reach out to StaffGeek at hello at staffgeek.com or visit them on the web at staffgeek.com.